Hi, I'm Red Platt and I'm an Associate Solicitor at Bradner's working in the Corporate Department and also a member of the Tech team. Today we'll be hosting a Q&A session with Jess Jackson from GC Angels to discuss tech investment and any challenges tech founders or investors have faced recently. Jess is Head of Angel Investment and joined GC Angels in 2018. Jess has experience in providing investment and growth support to tech businesses at both startup and investment fairs. Thanks for joining us, Jess, and I hope you're well. Um, firstly, I'd like to ask how you found the investment climate during the pandemic. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. It's good to be here. Um, in terms of yeah, the investment landscape since the pandemic. Wow, I mean, it's it's just ended up the third quarter, I think, since all of this started to to hit. And then, um, you know, in the investment world, you're very much looking back over the last quarter in terms of the activity to start to recognise trends and, and what's actually been going on um, that may or may not inform what's going to happen in the next quarter. Um, and obviously, we all know personally, having been going going through this. Uh, with lockdowns and so on, it has been an incredibly sort of fluctuating world. Um, so in terms of what we started to see initially, so as you started to come into Q1, so we're looking April uh, tax year, and it's important to sort of highlight that because, um, you know, January to March, which is a quarter that that report looked back on, showed quite a lot of activity, which is quite normal. So in the early stage uh, investment space, we get a lot of EIS and SEIS investment taking place. So they're the uh, enterprise investment schemes for those who don't know. And that gives investors tax incentives uh, to invest in early stage businesses. So you tend to see a spike happening at that time of the year anyway. Um, but what we then started to see was investors not looking at new deals and retreating and focusing on their portfolio businesses. So what we mean by that is they were putting their hands in their pockets to give cash to businesses they already had a stake in to help them through um, yeah. in terms of sort of cash flowing them maybe if they were needing to raise again and, and that suddenly got written off the cards. Um, but the kind of volume of deals uh, decreased, um, but the amount of money uh, weirdly increased because I think the sort of quote unquote safer deals were being done. Um, and the sort of riskier early stage wasn't. Um, and I think, you know, that is starting to change a little bit, but there is still a lot of reticence in the market. Um, but, you know, there's a huge amount of opportunity as well. So I know we're going to talk about tech businesses. And uh, as we go through, I'll pick up some maybe examples in certain subsectors. But, you know, uh, as we were chatting when we were getting ready to join this webinar and, you know, everyone's getting used to digital tools, you know, certainly businesses that sell B2B um, may find that themselves an easier job uh, than they had previously um, if they're lucky enough to be in a market that maybe hasn't been too hard hit um, um, in terms of like turnover and, and, and profit and so on. So yeah. hugely varied depending on your sector and uh, how resilient maybe you've been lucky enough to have been or smart enough to have been really um, in a nutshell, but um, hugely turbulent time. Yeah, yeah, I understand obviously a number of sectors and industries have been really struggling, but I think luckily for most tech businesses, we've been more reliant than ever on technology. Um, but what do you think um, are the biggest challenges currently for tech founders? 
So the probably the biggest challenges will be really, and, and there's no point in glossing over this, is sometimes it is survival at the moment. So a lot of the government products and that have entered the market, financial products, so C-bills and bounce-back loans, um, have been really focused on making sure that businesses can sort of get through, although that's been quite challenging in, in a lot of sectors because get through for how long uh, and get through what, because as we highlighted, the challenges have changed so much. So yes, so survival. So if you are a young tech business um, and you're lucky enough maybe at the start of all of this to have just closed around, you were pretty lucky to be in that position because likelihood is you've raised enough cash to give yourself maybe 12, 18 months runway, um, meaning therefore that if you carry on doing what you set out to do in the round, which is presumably, you know, develop your product um, and, and not so much necessarily focused on um, commercialization at that point, then you're probably in as strong a position as you could really hope to be in. And, and you know, startups are incredibly agile. You're able to scale back, scale up as needed. They've not you know, generally speaking, they've not struggled with the tech adoption or the remote working adoption that perhaps some of the more embedded industries and professional services have. Um, so I think they've probably been able to um, establish normal a lot quicker than others have in, in the way they operate, that is. If, yeah. if they're sort of not lucky, I say not lucky enough to sort of be in a position where their focus is just product development with their raise, it may have been around that was to sort of focus on sales and marketing activity as opposed to product development. You, you were in a sort of a challenge where if you were selling B2B or even B2C, depending on what it is, you know, most businesses sort of closed all procurement channel channels. So we saw, you know, even huge organizations taking advantage of the furlough scheme such that startups that perhaps had contacts in HR departments or procurement departments or wherever it is in that organization they were looking to sell, suddenly they're getting their out of office. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know when I'm going to be coming back. Um, and even if those individuals were, um, you know, had enough to keep them busy in the organization and not be on furlough, but there was this, you know, uh, screech of the brakes in spending because, you know, quite rightly, the bigger organizations were looking at their own financial resilience and that, you know, spending on new technology may not have been the immediate focus. Mm. But it is interesting because a number of businesses in our own portfolio have products that always had digital transformation um, and, you know, the ability to deliver uh, whatever it is, whether I think a large focus was on ed tech, for example, education technology. Um, businesses still need to train their staff, um, you know, but universities still need to teach their students, they still need to support their students, and even more so uh, now than ever, I think, and, um, you know, the challenge for them was, oh my god, can we sort of scrabble to market quicker than we'd intended, because, you know, it sounds awful to say, but there is an opportunity to to really get their product adopted uh, adopted quicker and, and hopefully delivering the impact that they they hoped for but i mean for the startups as well that we're hoping to raise it's been it's been very challenging because it's always been tough but the number of conversations that they've needed to have has been even even more to to convert those leads to start to get that investment so that that is kind of where a lot of businesses that we worked with have have struggled quite frankly with with 
you know, the impact on the investment market and the sales market. Yeah, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. Um, I'm, I'm sure you'd also agree that it's important um, more now than ever for tech founders to um, stand out to potential investors. So what would be your top tips for founders? So I, I spend a lot of my life talking about this, as you can imagine, in the um, investment kind of readiness space is, is sort of what we what we call it. And I think, you know, a lot of founders will battle with when is the right time to go out to raise investment is often initially the, the key challenge. You know, is it do we go out and get grant funding first? Do we try and bootstrap it? Or do we raise a lot now or a little now and a lot later? And, and, you know, those questions, there's never necessarily a right or a wrong answer. It's, well, these are the pros with that and the, the cons with that and the pros with that and the cons with that. So you kind of have to, to weigh it up, really. So where, where to start? Well, I think it's really, really important for a startup raising it at any point in time, regardless of kind of all the economic pressures now is to just be really really crystal clear on what your proposition is so um not just what it is that you do but why you do it so a lot the key question and i wish i could have it on a a little uh, placard so i had it ready to raise up uh, is is so what so you're telling me that you're out there doing this and you're doing that well why what what's the reason that you're doing that so your problem solution fit is the most critical thing that you need everything else is is kind of detail really if you can sort of really sell me on your product and the, the, the problem that you're trying to solve or the, your solution versus someone else's then i'm going to be interested in having a conversation um i think having a really really well done investment deck and a pitch is also really important. So more so now we're seeing uh, people adopting digital pitch um, uh, delivery mechanisms as opposed to sort of standing at the front of a room. And, and you know, it's an incredibly different dynamic talking on, on Zoom or, or whatever platform is being used because you don't really benefit from that kind of uh, feedback of interacting with people in a room and scanning it and, you know, getting the eye contact of the, picking up on the nods in the room, picking up on the energy. Um, it's not, you can't really do that. So I, um, with some of my clients, I've been doing some uh, pitch practice in an evening ahead of um, an event that we have planned. And uh, I just tell them, you know, you, you know, you time yourself for one, so you know where you're waffling and where you need to trim. And But the key thing as well is just in any, you know, if you're delivering a presentation in any given slide, what's the most pertinent information that you want to get across there? Don't read it to me. I can read that. Um, yeah. But what are the key things that perhaps you want me to take away from there that may not be explicitly stated or, or what information do you really want to highlight? So um, another tip that that I would pass on because it's something that's actually really helpful um, uh, for me, uh, certainly when I'm, I'm, you know, as someone who we've got 40 clients, maybe at one point that we're raising four uh, and then another at least 40 who, who are trying to knock on the door and have a chat with us. You know, when you communicate with me, you know, if you don't hear back from me, it's not sort of necessarily uh, because I'm not interested, it's just I'm incredibly busy. So if you can find a way that to communicate with me 
um, that cuts through and gives me the most pertinent info, I'm going to be really grateful for it, actually. So, um, you know, plopping into someone's inbox cold is, is always a challenge. So if you can find a way to be introduced into an investor, that can be really helpful as well. Um, you know, but if not, find a little bit out about the person. Um, and, you know, if you have had the luxury of having that conversation, uh, I really enjoy getting the emails that say like, oh, it, you know, since we've last spoken, by the way, uh, we discussed, you know, we discussed this and this, but since we last spoke, we've had, you know, significant traction in this area. We've we've had customers, we've got this, we've got that. And it's really, really useful for me because I'm listening out for those key triggers that will that will resonate with our investment committee for, you know, a good deal. And will also resonate with our network of investors too. So keep me updated, um, even if it's not something I've explicitly asked for, because you never know when someone might come back and go, oh my God, that sounds great. I'm, I'm really glad you sent me that email actually. Um, yeah. And you know, that could be something that you make a cheeky little template and, and send in a personalized way. But actually I, I really like it when founders do that. So we've, so we've sort of talked about deck. We've sort of talked about ways to um, sneakily get to the top of the agenda. You know, if, you, if you've got investors or advisors that are already on board um, and they can bring something over and above, you know, over and above the money to the opportunity, highlight that to your investors as well. So it's not, you know, your team is ultimately the thing that the investor is going to invest in. And the amount of decks that I, I sort of look through or presentations that we run through and think, God, why did you leave it till the last slide to tell me about your fantastic team? Uh, and, you know, the the founders that I've been working with most recently on refining their deck, the, the team that they had was the hugest selling point and the reason that I had the conversation. So, you know, if you've got a really carefully curated team with, you know, fantastic expertise, make sure you really highlight that and bring it to the fore and let it do some of the talking for you and then equally if you've done some hard work you've built a really strong board you've got an advisory panel and um, again highlight those people and also use their networks too where possible yeah, yeah i think there's some really uh, helpful tips there thank you um you'll you'll appreciate that tech founders may find choosing um an investment um, an investment partner daunting what would you suggest founders should look for when choosing a partner? Really good question because um, immediately I would sort of highlight that a startup will have to um, speak to so many different investment parties, um, whether they be individuals, whether they be angel groups, if they're approaching funds, if they're going to write applications to innovate, you know, if they've decided to go. So the key thing really to draw attention to is you don't have to or shouldn't, in, in fact, as a kind of direct piece of advice, you shouldn't feel that you can only work with with one fund. You know, it's a, especially when you're if you're in the north and you don't perhaps have the luxury of, of tripping over money in London, which, you know, it certainly feels that way sometimes. Um, it, you, you know, you're not quite frankly, you're just not going to have all of your capital needs met by by one organization. You know, if you do, you're very, very, very lucky. So, you know, there are lots of different movers and shakers that kind of make up 
this market, some of whom who are more effective than others and some of whom who are um, a bit trickier or there's issues with. So I'm just going to sort of throw a few out there. So you've sort of got your um, your introducers um, and as the name suggests, they will they you know, may get you to sign an agreement with them to introduce you to people. Uh, I would caution those approaches because uh, if anyone asks you up front for anything, I would tell you to say no, because this is a, uh, you know, it's a contingent on success industry. If someone doesn't raise you money, you don't pay them. It just doesn't make any sense. But unfortunately, there are people out there um introducers or sometimes as they're referred to uh money men uh there are you know they just they just have people in their inbox and they fire off an email but you don't get any generally you, you won't get support from them in terms of well okay um you know the intros aren't getting cut through what do i need to do what do i need to achieve here they're not actually going to be interested in that if there's not been a resonance with their network that they don't they're not going to earn money by giving you advice you know, and there are advisors um, out there, uh, whether they be sort of publicly funded, like through the Growth Companies Access to Finance Scheme, for example, or RTC North over in Cheshire, where they, you know, it's there are fully funded programs and they will introduce you to potential investors uh, in your region as, as part of that. Um, you know, th and that is probably a really good route if you're quite new to the whole thing and you're just starting out and you want help with your deck and so on. But then sort of further up the chain, you've got, you know, you've got angel networks who, you know, you can approach, you might get an opportunity to pitch there. Um, but again, it's kind of like a stop on the way, if you will. Um, and there will be also funds who you can directly approach. But then kind of sitting over the top or wrapping around that, you've got funds like ours. So we're a co-fund with our own angel, um, with our own investment partners. So if something comes to us that's either sort of partially funded or not even with any funding outlined at all, but it you know meets our investment criteria, we like it, we think it's going to resonate with our base, what we can do is co-invest alongside investors that we introduce it to so there's a much stronger proposition in in working with people like us uh, you know if we've got enough capacity to support uh, then then maybe just kind of hit and hoping in lots of different places i think we find the best outcomes is when they come and work with us but they've also got conversations going on at the same time because you know um we we expect founders to do that when we're not here to do everything um and you know the sort of corporate advisors and corporate finance solutions as well which take take fees and they tend to be delivered through you know larger professional services firms as well and they can often have a lot of those different elements in 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 place but again the key takeaway here is there is no one size fits all approach and you will need to utilize all the tools in your arsenal, all the networks uh, and contacts that you have um, and, you know, uh, work with a number of all of those stakeholders uh, together to to make a raise happen in the current climate. And, you know, just be by, by, by virtue of being based in the north, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think... Um... As you say, utilising contacts, but also utilising 
contact of your contacts as well, reaching out and, and seeing whether anyone you know has, has um, contacts that might be useful. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, just m moving back onto the pandemic just for a second, how do you think founders should address the impact of COVID in their pitch or plan? I think it is important for founders to to allude to it, you know, in any way that if you don't address it, it is the elephant in the room, you know, especially if if it's something that had like a really close tie, you know, your business plan was predicated on international trade. You know, someone's going to ask, what's the impact of, of, of Brexit in the EU transition going to be on, on this business plan? If you don't talk about it, then someone's going to ask about it. So I think it's important to to definitely to highlight it. So firstly, there's, you know, there's a number of ways that you should do this. So firstly, in your market, like what has it exposed uh, weakness wise? So um, I'll give you I'll give um recruitment maybe or recruitment tech as an example. So um, you know, your how has your market been affected? So that would be, well, it's been flooded with entrance because of of um redundancies. Um so okay, but companies aren't going to be hiring as much then are they? So what you, what does that mean for you? So there's always two sides generally of a market. And, and what are those factors in play? Um, and is there a kind of a short term concern? Is there a more more longer term trend based concern that you expect to happen? And um, you know, there are tools that we can use for from a DD perspective, and you know, they're by no means um, faultless. But you know, uh, Bohurst, for example, it can tell you whether a business's market is a low, medium, or a high as a result of COVID um, and you could use that as it's an indicator. It's not like an absolute, you know, concrete ruling, but you can sort of get a sense for, you know, this business is in a high risk market, but it could be that what they're doing offers a solution to that market. So, okay, if that's the case, then what are the things around that that are going to, you know, that that's still a risky proposition. It's an interesting one, but it's, it's a risky one. So, what are the things around the edges that that may impact that and and tip the balance one way or the other and be you know be really honest about about the opportunity um and i think over and above that there's not really much else you you can do we're all learning about this and anyone who claims to know the answer or the outcome is 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 not being honest um <laughs> but you know it, it's incredibly interesting as well when um I, I heard this morning uh, from one of our sort of stakeholders that uh, private equity in general, so they tend to be much larger sort of after series A kind of size raises um, that they are sort of dropping um, in number. Um, and I don't know whether that is because businesses aren't raising, which I find very difficult, uh, hard to believe, um, or that actually they're just so... Uh, paralyzed with um their kind of usual approaches to assessment of risk and actually that's a problem because there's money sat there that probably needs to go out or um you know should be going out into the market that that isn't and uh, that is worrying for our growth in the economy um you know businesses that don't get growth funding don't hire um don't get gross value add to the economy you know and the list kind of goes on so that's quite 
that's quite concerning, I think, uh, whether that's intrinsically linked. Uh, well, it's because of COVID, but I don't know how they're going to change their investment approaches to mean that they can still balance, you know, the risk or manage the risk in a better way um, to yeah, get the cash out into the market. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think obviously it all has a, a, a ricochet effect, doesn't it? And, mm. and will affect the economy in the long run. Um, but I, I definitely agree with the fact that founders should be dealing with um, the impact rather than ignoring it, as you say, with the elephant in the room. Um, otherwise, um, so it's definitely important to address the impact of, of COVID. I think, I think some startups have almost you know, they might have had shutdowns and, you know, their workers on furlough or, you know, things have maybe dried up, but they're, they're not like at risk of falling over, but they've not used the time well. So if you've had this time to sort of sit and reflect and you haven't sort of gone, this is where we could pivot to, or this is how we could adapt, then that's not a good sign. Um, so you don't really want to have to be telling that story to your investors. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, Jess, you'll know that the government is keen to promote new tech startups. Uh, what do you think the government should do to support this goal? Really, really good question. And um, I'm glad that you've asked it. So um, we uh, at GC Angels, we are actually a publicly backed uh, fund. Uh, so our money has come from the uh, from GMCA, uh, from a pot uh, combined by all of the the ten local authorities of Greater Manchester, uh, with a view to uh, you know getting tech startups funded, um, not necessarily always through direct investment, but from our role in the ecosystem as a whole, uh, and how we sort of promote entrepreneurship, promote angel investment, um, co-invest and share risk with private to draw them down into a space that they otherwise wouldn't with a hopeful net positive effect um, and you know that was actually delivered as a pilot uh, and we feel that the pilot has been a, a roaring success with us having you know fully invested all of that capital a year early and is getting access to another pot uh, as a result of sort of the uh, flash uh, reactions to to the pandemic and the impact on businesses in Greater Manchester. So, you know, being able to, if if as a government with you know the the economy and the whatever else you've got structured around it, whether it be tax incentives and uh, attracting foreign investment and so on, if all of those things just aren't happening uh, or to the level that they should, um, but we know that you know the economy thrives on tech startups you know the, the everyone loves being able to point at the uk unicorns um the you know the massive deals the big buyouts the stock market but it's all london 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 and you know when you look at the manifesto of the conservative party it was very scant on any level of detail because i read it to do with entrepreneurship and tech investment they just say we want to support it we love it it's great also we're committed to diversity uh, okay cool so where is the money so they will you know they'll point to schemes like um or you know through the british business bank and they've um had um a really large pot uh, pre-covid which was for 
Um, it was a regional uh, angel investment uh, pilot where they would distribute sort of pots of about 10 to 15 million um, to fund managers or organisations with a with a non-London or non-sort of southeast uh, agenda, with a view to kind of giving you know public money to take risk with private money and move investment out of London um, or attract investment outside of London. So um, I think that scheme is great. I just wish there was more of it. But you know that is you know it's a very generalistic scheme. So what we have seen. Um, through GC Angels is some other kind of really hyper-focused schemes that have worked really, really well. And I haven't heard any more uh, from the government or its uh, Innovate UK, uh, which is a government body, about more of these funds becoming available. So in, in 2019, there was the, um, and there have been a few others around that year, uh, there was an investment accelerator, which is they, they sort of... Uh, had a pot of a million which was for uh, projects 70% grant funded and they required the businesses to get the remaining 30 through um, a, a formal investment partner of which we were one and the only one in in our region in Greater Manchester I think maybe even in the northwest mm -hmm. and out of the eight projects that actually got funding four of them came through through ourselves and that had a very specific remit for immersive technology because they realized that this was an area that was going to be huge, but that perhaps they needed to invest more to ensure that we as a, you know, as a nation can play on the global stage. So that was great. But where is the rest? Because to me, it should be look at these businesses that we've backed. How did they do? You know, they're still there. Um, can we either give them more grant funding, but like in, in larger chunks and, and already at businesses that have, you know, been awarded the funding in the first place and, and scored very highly, um, but also have, have gone on to survive and thrive, but they still need that input um, and de-risking from a product development, you know, product uh, development capital kind of, you know, working capital uh, side of things. So, um I think more of, of those kind of risk sharing models that are sectoral focused and regionally focused are hugely important for ecosystems because it's very disparate. Um, you know, 56% of angels are, in, are based in London and the southeast, 20% uh, in rest of England. Um, they haven't even, you know, the, the data doesn't even break it down. It's just rest of England. Um, yeah. And, you know, the majority of those will make an investment or made an investment in that year into London. So what are the ways in which we can attract them out? Well, you know, we we work really hard to try and do that. We have a digital deal platform where, you know, uh, we've we've worked with some of those, um, you know, regional angel pilot programs that, you, that I mentioned before mm -hmm. that have a remit to invest outside of London, but they themselves are based in London. So they don't have the boots on the ground. They don't understand who the players are in Greater Manchester or Lancashire. Um, where can I find the deals? What are the sectoral strengths? And why would they bother to find all that out when they could just come to someone like us uh, or indeed, you know, any other kind of angel group or, or, or source of deals um, in the north and say, you know, tell me what, what you have and, and, you know, what meets our criteria and can, can we start to do some deals together? Um, so, so we've been able to enable that, but I think I want to see that on a much greater scale than, than we've seen already. 
Mm. Um, and you know what we've recently seen in the past few days, although I don't think the funding will be going on innovation or growth necessarily, but in, you know, in the government agreeing a deal with Lancashire to go into tier three and get mm. access to a wad of cash to presumably help with obviously individuals who will need to self-isolate or who cannot work and so on and so on. But, you know, the, there is a huge role in, in the government making sure that other areas prosper and grow, especially with, you know, industries moving overseas as a result of Brexit. We can't get, get away from that. So how can they reskill? How can they innovate? How can they utilize that latent knowledge to tackle problems that we have? And I, I think they should, um, you know, they need to take a really active role in um in unlocking that and, and driving forward innovation regionally yeah yeah I, I agree with that i think it's important to, to deal with it regionally as you're saying um i mean you've, you've we've seen we've seen that the government with these initiatives previously whether whether covid's to blame for for, for postponing or or um not taking more of an active role but but time time will tell i think with with that yeah um, absolutely yeah but jess thank you so much uh for taking the time to answer our questions today i'm sure everyone watching will find the information really useful and thanks for watching and thanks again to jess for joining me